Hello and welcome to episode 161 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. As you can tell, my voice is even more sexy and husky than normal. A bit of a cold? I hope that's okay. It can be argued that even most serial killers are nice people a lot of the time. It isn't a full-on 24-7 lifestyle. On a lesser scale, this podcast, we often hear about people who in almost all areas of their lives achieve good things, but there is just that one weakness that lets them down. And so it is in today's. A sad story, I think, of great success snatched away due to the one key weakness. I'm delighted that this week's show is again sponsored by Stitch Fix. I've been using Stitch Fix for a few months now, and I love it as it both saves me time and introduces me to clothing I would probably not have discovered. I love dressing well. No, seriously. But with this podcast, work and family, I don't have too much spare time for shopping on the high street, which I don't really enjoy anyway. And on websites, the sizing can be tricky. You're the same, right? But Stitch Fix solves these problems for me. I was genuinely excited when the packages arrived at my door and I just couldn't wait to try things on. So why not give it a go now? To get started with Stitch Fix, just go to stitchfix.co.uk slash true where you will fill in a quick style quiz and then a personal stylist will send you five items of clothing, each handpicked for you from their selection of a hundred of the best European brands. Try everything on at home and if you don't want to keep anything, just send it back. How easy, no hassle, just how I like it. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support this podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash true right now. That's stitchfix, S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co.uk forward slash true. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially this week's new members of this exclusive club. That is Beck to myself, Chris Woodhouse, Tommy Church and Paige Wilmot. Thank you so much for your support, which is so much appreciated. And look out for my new special offer for Patreon supporters. Not sure if it's something people will like or not, but it's going to be dinner for you and one other person with me in either Edinburgh or London to talk true crime. So look out for that coming soon. Let's take a quick look at the music we were listening to at a significant point in this story, December 2012. The UK number one was Bruno Mars with Locked Out of Heaven. And in the US, it was Rihanna with Diamonds. And the number one album in Australia, well, there are only two men who spring to mind at this time of year. In the number two spot, Father Christmas. And at number one, yep, you guessed it, the Buble. He was at number one with Christmas. In the news this month, HSBC settled with US authorities to pay $1.9 billion for drug cartel money laundering. Utterly astonishing. One of the most shocking events of my lifetime happened when 28 people, including 20 children, were murdered at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Connecticut. And on a lighter note, Gangnam Style became the first video to reach 1 billion views on YouTube. I bet you have. You might have been drunk, but I bet you have. And in UK true crime news, former Labour Party MP Margaret Moran was given a two-year supervision and treatment order 
after falsely claiming £53,000 in expenses, as you do. A judge had earlier ruled she was unfit to stand trial because of mental health issues. I think what really annoyed people, well, really annoyed me in this case, is she never held up her hand to say, fair cop, gov. She always insisted that she'd done nothing wrong. So on to today's story from County Durham in the northeast of England. Life was good for Anne Lakey in 2012. Now in her 50s, she was living in the part of the world she loved the most and where she'd been brought up, County Durham, and she was happily married to her third husband, David. He was also a teacher, and they'd been married 20 years, and had surprised those who told them it would never last due to the age gap. Anne was 34, and David just 18 when they tied the knot. The couple had a 19-year-old daughter, Eleanor, who made them both very proud. It was a normal Monday morning in December 2012, when Anne received an email to her school account, which made her go cold. In that one moment, everything changed, and she knew that everything in her world was in danger of crashing around her. I wonder if there is something somewhere in your past which could have the same effect and change everything about the life you created if you read that one email. In many ways, at this time, me and Anne were similar. She was at the pinnacle of her career, and me as a podcaster, as you will know, at the pinnacle of mine. I mean, let's face it, not everyone can cut and paste and then read from Wikipedia quite as well as I can do. But whereas I am the 475th most successful true crime podcaster, Anne was widely seen as an expert able to turn around performance in underperforming schools. She had become headmistress of DNS Valley Comprehensive in 2001, which was later to become part of the Durham Federation of Schools. And more success followed. Under her leadership, the Federation's other school, Findown Community College, was named the county's most improved secondary school. With GCSE pass rates of 80% in 2013, up from 26% the year before. Now in 2012, Anne was chief exec of the Durham Federation, comprising two secondary schools and had been praised the year before by the Chief Inspector of Schools, Sir Michael Wilshaw. Anne was brought up in the former coal mining town of Stanley, where she enjoyed a happy childhood with her mum and her dad, who was a teacher. Anne headed to university at Sheffield to study history, and then carried on with her teacher training in the city. In 1983, aged just 23, when in her first job teaching history, Anne married a teaching student at the college. 21-year-old Simon Godfrey. But things didn't work out for reasons that aren't clear and the marriage was annulled. But Anna didn't stay single for long and just four years later, in 1987, she was saying her vows again. This time, 27-year-old Anna married 19-year-old sales assistant Eamon Toland. The couple at the time were living in Huddersfield, scene of the latest triumph of the Mighty League United but Anna wanted to move back to County Durham, where she'd been brought up. Frankly, Eamon was besotted with Anne, and would have done anything that she wanted just to be with her, and they moved back to Stanley. But once there, the relationship changed, and their previously healthy sex life, whatever that means, dwindled significantly to nothing. Eamon later said, For the last 18 months of our relationship, we didn't have sex. I knew things were not right, 
and she didn't want anything to do with me. I was hurt as I loved her. I was totally besotted with her. Then their deterioration in their relationship all came to a head one day, when he came home from work, and in his words, Anne took me into another room, and basically stated that our marriage was over. Eamon was devastated, and just couldn't understand what had gone wrong. What Eamon could never have guessed is that Anne hadn't lost her sex drive, but she'd begun a new sexual relationship. Shockingly, this was with a 13-year-old pupil at her school, who Anne had flattered and manipulated into the relationship. The boy wasn't in Anne's class, but he was a pupil at the school. Things were different back in the 80s. I remember a bunch of us going round to our teacher's new house to innocently help with gardening. And it was the same here, when the victim and another group of boys would often go to Anne's home. But as time went by, the boy began to come on his own, and Anne began to flirt with him, which then led to a game of dare, in which the boy was allowed to touch her breasts. He would then watch her in the bath while they chatted, until one time Anne decided it was time to take things to the next level when she made her move and lay naked on the bed. The two then had sex for the first time. And from that point, whilst Eamon was at work, Anna had sex with the boy in their marital bed, usually at least a couple of times a week. Anne was certainly the dominant person in their relationship, and she asked the boy to call her mummy during their liaisons, and even encouraged him to play truant so they could spend more time together. When they did, Anne would call the school posing as his mum. As with similar cases you'll be familiar with, the details become increasingly unpleasant the deeper you dive, and so I'll keep the details to a minimum. On at least one occasion, Anne insisted he wore his school uniform as they had sex, and they never used any form of contraception. Another time, Eamon had turned up unexpectedly at the house, and the boy had to rapidly hide in a cupboard to avoid detection. This terrified him, and the thought of being caught like this again meant that the boy ended the relationship, and although Anne wasn't happy, she accepted this, but told him never to mention it to anyone, and he didn't. He thought why on earth would anyone believe what he said, over the word of a highly thought-of teacher. And that would probably have been that, until in 2012, Anne, who received lots of media attention, wrote a pretty standard blog, and I know all about that, which said her raison d'etre was to give young people the best start in life. But this was read by the boy who'd had a sexual relationship with Anne all those years ago. Now 41, he was disgusted by the hypocrisy in this email. He felt so strongly that after reading it late on a Sunday night, he angrily emailed her school saying she should not be allowed anywhere near young people, especially boys, and described her as a disgusting sexual monster. At first he said he loved the excitement of having sex with an older woman, but as time had gone on and he'd reflected on events, he felt quite differently about the experience seeing it for just what it was, abuse. He'd been in trouble with the police in his life and had experienced other issues, and he was sure that this experience with Anne was at the core of that. But from the moment that Anne had read that email, she knew this could be the end of her career and life as she knew it, and she felt she had to try to intervene to protect her life and her family. 
The email she had received mentioned a second underage man that Anne had also had sex with at around the same time. Anne would later admit this sexual relationship, but she would say that they only started having sex when he was older, at 18, at the time she was in her mid-30s. Anne took the high-risk decision to phone this man because he'd been named in the email. She later explained this to detectives, saying, The email that the first complainant sent came into school on a Sunday evening very late, and I was informed late the following morning. It came into my confidential email. The second complainant was named in it, and I phoned him sometime in the following week. I hadn't seen him for nearly 20 years. I said, look, I'm really sorry, I'm having some problems at school. There is a malicious email at school, and you've been named in it. I suppose I just felt awkward and embarrassed that he was being dragged into this, and that he'd been named in an email, she said. She said that she was having trouble at school, and I just wanted to give him the heads up that someone could knock on his door. I didn't know a great deal about him. I presumed he had a family and his own life, and it would not be good to get a shot. But the man who received this call didn't see it like this at all, and he went to police saying that she had asked him to lie to the police about what had happened to protect herself. He said, The delivery was like A-level psychology 101. There was the initial, My poor father, lost my mother, a trump card to play. There was my career, my daughter, my husband. I've definitely not had sex with any other children since, was mentioned early on. It was laid on thick. Emotionally at the start, towards the end there was flattery alongside that. There was a reference to her belief that if the police came to interview him, he would not bat an eye, he said. The phone call really summed up the whole thing. Here is somebody who has not spoken to me for 20 years. He thought that she could get me to pick up the phone and lie to the police 20 years after, he said. If that doesn't give you an idea of the control she had over us lads, I don't know what would. Now also in his early 40s, he was visibly upset by his experiences and told detectives he was confused and with a mess of emotions after his experiences with Anne. His wife told detectives that She recalled him telling her about what had happened and she remembered him crying. He was a very damaged, vulnerable young man, she said. Anne had seduced him on a camping trip, also attended by her then-husband Eamon, when Anne was 28 and the boy just 15. He said that Anne had made it very clear that he was to join her in her tent, even telling her husband to stay elsewhere on the field. And in this rather sordid environment, they had sex for the first time. The victim told detectives, It was a very confusing experience. It was cold. I was extremely tired. And it wasn't just a one-off, with the pair going on to have sex a number of times that summer, including once more in Anne and Eamon's bed at their home. When questioned, Anne Lakey denied all the charges against her, saying that she didn't ever have sex with the first complainant, and reiterating, that she only began a sexual relationship with a second complainant when he was 18. The trial at Teesside Crown Court opened with prosecutor Caroline Goodwin saying that the case was one of two young boys who are now adults who were each sexually abused by a woman older, more mature and in a position of trust and responsibility. Her conduct towards them demonstrates in the submission of the Crown 
that here was a sexual predator who exploited the situation she was in, she said. The prosecution alleged that the complainants had not been in contact with each other as adults, were of similar ages at the time, and the indecent assaults happened in similar circumstances. The single common denominator, said the Crown, was the defendant. Nervously taking the stand, Anne was asked by her QC about the first complainant who had accused her of initiating a sexual relationship after she'd encouraged him to watch her in the bath and touch her breasts. He asked, Was there ever an occasion where you took off your clothes and encouraged him to have sexual intercourse with you? Anne responded, Absolutely not. Did anything like that ever occur between you and the complainant? She was asked. It did not, she replied. She also denied ever encouraging him to play truant and pretending to be his mum so that they could spend more time together. She was then asked about the second complainant who accused Anne of taking his virginity in a tent in the middle of the night in a field. Anne told the court, He did not visit me in the night. The boy certainly did not get in her sleeping bag, did not kiss and cuddle or have sex with her. And answering his claim that her mum once knocked on the door whilst they were in bed together, she said, My mum would have been able to get in. She'd have been able to use the key. But the jury at Teesside Crown Court didn't believe her. And Anne Lakey was unanimously found guilty of 13 indecent assaults between 1987 and 1990 and sentenced to eight years in prison. A clearly shocked Anne covered her mouth with her hand and looked towards her husband and weeping daughter in the public gallery before being taken to the cells to begin her sentence. In a statement afterwards, the younger victim said, I think Anne is a dirty pervert. I was underage. It was not like I was 13 and she was 15 or something. We weren't even the same generation. She was old enough to be my mum. She is supposed to be a great teacher. What sort of great teacher has sex with a 13-year-old? The man told how he was embarrassed about people's reactions to what happened to him, as he thought there was a difference between how young male victims were looked at compared to girls who had been abused. Lakey's other victim said, The offence against me happened when I was a young, impressionable 15-year-old boy. At the time, I didn't realise what I was doing and the consequence of having a sexual relationship with Anne Lakey. That had a negative impact on this phase of his life, the victim said, and he felt robbed of that time when he should have been interacting with girls of his own age. Detective Inspector Alf Sampson of Durham Police said the boys had been vulnerable victims of sexual abuse at the hands of a woman who had some power and responsibility for them. These boys should have been safe in her company instead of being damaged by their experience. Regardless of whether these boys appeared to have been willing participants in the offences, they could not consent by law to what happened. So what do you make of what we've heard today? You can just imagine some people thinking, what's the problem here? So we are told it's many boys' fantasy to be seduced by an older woman. And the more old-fashioned view is to almost say, well done, son, to the boys. But of course, we increasingly realise just how short-sighted and naive this view is, as this sort of abuse can have long-term effects. And there is no grey area here. This is abuse, pure and simple. My headmaster at my senior school in Hartford got away with abusing boys. 
He was allowed to quietly retire when I was in the fifth form and was dead from leukaemia a few years later. His abuse of many of the boys in our sixth form only came to light when an ex-pupil studying at university tried to take his own life. I was in the early process of being groomed by this man and I was lucky, just through the timing of being younger, that I too was not abused by this monster. The police didn't prosecute him, the papers sniffed around but didn't dare publish, and it used to sicken me when people would say how the rumours about this headmaster were so unfair as he was such a great teacher of man, not knowing or believing for a second that he was as guilty as hell. And this head was undeniably a great teacher who inspired many and changed so many lives by turning an average school into an excellent one. But his weakness was boys, as was Anne Lakey's. Again, a superb and inspirational teacher with a reputation for transforming, poorly performing schools. No doubt as the years went on, she didn't think for a moment that she'd ever be held accountable for her actions. Do you have any sympathy for her? And I wonder how she is coping in prison as you listen to this. I wonder how the other prisoners treat her. And what will happen to her when she's released? Will she have to move away from County Durham due to the publicity? And will her husband and daughter support her? I don't know, but I imagine they will. And I wonder what she thinks about every night as she drifts off to sleep. I would like to think it's remorse for what she did. But I imagine it's more likely to be self-pity, don't you? Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. Please join us on Facebook to discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime and of course to join in our Christmas quiz. And to support the show, Christmas is forgiving and all that, you know it makes sense, head over to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime and be in for chance with you and a friend come to join me for dinner in Edinburgh or London. There's loads of exclusive stuff there to get stuck into, from full-length episodes to behind-the-scenes updates. So that's all for me for another week. I know, I know, parting is such sweet sorrow for me as well. Do get over to Stitch Flicks and check it out. Who knows, you too could be as well-dressed as me. (laughs) That's never a line I thought I would use. So until we speak again next week, take it easy, be kind, especially to me, and most of all, stay classy.